Good, beautiful singing this morning. Such rich songs and uh, heartfelt singing. I I think you meant it, didn't you? That was a, a good time of uh, singing praise to the Lord. And we always thank Melissa for playing for us so wonderfully, encouraging us with music as uh, we have this uh, opportunity to sing together. I think that's great. You know, that was one part of the whole... Uh, COVID thing that I missed a great deal was when we weren't together and and uh, singing wasn't just part of the service quite like normal and that was a a strange feeling wasn't that you know heaven is full of singing and uh, someday you'll all be in the choir did you know that so they start next Sunday at nine thirty practicing. <laughs> And you can get yourself ready for the choir. Uh, You're going to be part of it. But today, we're going to be part of Jude together. No surprise there, I'm sure. But we are in verse 17 now. We're moving on. You know, sometimes you say 17 part A and part B. I wonder if I could get the whole alphabet in this one. There's a lot of wonderful things here. Honestly, folks, when we get from verse 17 on, it's, such an important, important, important section for us, all right? We've been talking about the other guy this whole time, it seems, that false teacher. We've been talking about him over and over and over again, and and I know that hasn't been a lot of fun. Uh, It was a difficult walk through verse 4, chapter 4, I mean, verse 4, there's only one chapter, all the way through verse 16. That is not easy territory, and still you're here, so I appreciate that, that you didn't just say, I'm done, I'm not going to listen anymore, Uh, but it was important and necessary. Every church ought to know the dangers that lurk out there, and if I overemphasize it, it wasn't uh, anything I'm sorry for, because there are so many churches that have already been damaged by false teachers that have already been ruined by false teachers. And it is a favorite tactic of our enemy to infiltrate the church and to weaken it from the inside. And that's exactly what we've been looking at. And if ever there was a time for a church to be strong, I would say it's now. And if there's ever a time for a church to be godly, I would say it's now. And if there was ever a time for a church to be Christ-like, It is now. And I'm just trying to convince you of these things because, folks, we're living in perilous times. And many times we don't see it. It's it's that kind of a nature. We We are fighting in a battle against principalities, against powers, against forces, spiritual forces in dark places. And Ephesians warns us about that. And so many times, as we are, if I don't see it, I won't believe it. We're all from Missouri, right? (laughs) Show me, show me, and I'll believe it. The Scripture has said this over and over and over again. And I know there's a lot of world issues out there, and I wish I could solve those, really. I wish we could get together and have a quick service and be done with it and solve all that. Those are out there. But I'm really, really concerned about the church and the steady indoctrination of the world's poisons. And the sleepiness of the saints. And the compromise of faith. And Jude says we're to contend for the faith. 
in verse 3. We're to contend earnestly for the faith. And that's the faith of the church that we're contending for, not that of the false teacher. That's our concern as the church. And that's why I'm bringing you all this today. So let's look at verse 17 and verse 18. I'm going to read all of that. But you know I'm only going to touch on a little bit of verse 17. Three words. All right. Part A. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Okay, we're going to work on this today. and Let's have a word of prayer as we step into this. Heavenly Father, help us today. Again, captivate our hearts with your word and the urgency of this message that we might see it, know it, and live in light of it. Uh, we do not want to be caught unaware. So guard us, Lord, and help us to mature in our understanding of what's going on in our world today and why. We need to stay close to you. Help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at dangers. Obviously, we've been looking at dangers all along. And now the question is, what is to be done? What is to be done? And that's where it starts in verse 17 and goes really through verse 23. In two different levels of response. Alright? The first and by the way, both of them involve faith. And I'm not talking about just the fact, oh, I've got faith, I received Christ as my Savior in 1976. It's on my calendar or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the faith, faith that you live by. Faith is to be lived by. Scripture says, live by faith. All right? That's what we're called to do. And this kind of faith is needing to be strong. It must mature, all right? It's not some static thing that just sits there and does nothing. It must mature. It must grow. So, the two levels we're going to deal with in our study from 17 through 23, and it's going to take a little bit of time, the personal level of faith is addressed in verse 17 through 21. The personal level of faith. And then in verse 22 and 23, the rescue level of faith. Alright? Those are intertwined. They're, they're by necessity set up this way. And I think it's consistent all the way through Scripture. You need to be strong yourself if you're ever going to be available and useful to help somebody else. You have to be. And I do believe, and you probably are convinced of it by this point, we need to be a strong and healthy congregation. If we're going to be capable, or better, if we're going to be useful to our Lord. To be useful to the Lord, the scripture says we must be clean, and we must be ready. When you have guests over to your house for dinner, we, we do that. we got one coming over this afternoon as well. Um, but we enjoy having guests over at the house. Do you put out the dirty dishes for them? Nah, we don't do it that way, do we? I hope not. That would probably you know, be appalling to you if you find your plate dirty that you set in front of your guests. You say, oops, that's not what I meant. 
Go with me. Just put your bookmark here, your bulletin, whatever you want. Go with me to 2 Timothy for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. Paul is writing to Timothy in this book, obviously. He's calling for him particularly not to engage in the arguments of the false teachers. Oh, they love to argue, folks. That's one of their gimmicks, is to keep you arguing, arguing, arguing. It it not only occupies your time, but confuses too. And then in the end of it, there's nothing accomplished. (laughs) It's just the nature of an argument. It doesn't go anywhere. And Timothy's caught up in a situation, apparently, where he was ministering that Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't do that. Don't let your, your leadership do that either. The false teachers are in your midst, and if you just spend all your time arguing with them, you won't have any time to edify the rest. And so what he says to them in verse 14, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. He emphasizes instead for Timothy to be well trained in handling God's word. Be diligent, or you might have the word study, to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. And we all ought to be there, folks. We all ought to know God's Word very, very well and growing more and more as the day goes by. We ought to be presenting ourselves that way. And he says in verse 16, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for that will lead to further ungodliness. Their talk is like gangrene. That's not a healthy situation, is it? Nobody says, Boy, I wish I had a touch of that. No. He says, that's what their talk is like. And he names two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Apparently, they were trouble. He says, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they've upset the faith of some. If you want to know the rest of that story, perhaps just read Second Thessalonians. These people were shaking because they thought, oh, we missed the resurrection? Oh, that's terrible. And it shook them. There was people walking around teaching false things. Paul says they're like gangrene. So that danger is there. But Timothy, this is what you do. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. I love that little phrase. The Lord knows those who are His. Remember, He's like the shepherd. My sheep know me. They know my voice. And that's a beautiful thing. He says, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain abstain from wickedness. It gets really personal here. You ready? It involves the sins that so easily entangles us and prevents us from service. And he starts in verse 20 to illustrate it. In a large house, he says... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Many times when we start into this picture and read through the context, we're talking, many times people are saying, well, 
uh, we need to be gold and silver, not wood, not earthenware, because those are dishonorable. That's not what dishonor means here. It means useful. Now listen very carefully, and I'll explain this in the simplest way I can paraphrase it. In a large house, you will have fine china, and you will have paper plates. Each of them have their place. Is that easier? It's not about the cost of the item. It's about whether they're clean and they're ready to use. You know anybody who washes paper plates? My kids start to laugh. There's a story behind that. I'm not going to say it. If they are clean, a gold plate is as good as a paper plate or a styrofoam plate or a Tupperware plate. You see? It's clean and it's ready to use. You may not use it in every situation the same, but that's the whole point. Is within the, the household of God, there's a variety of people. Different gifts, different... I could go into the body of Christ, I could go into all kinds of illustrations here. But God has a large house with a lot in it. What does He want? He wants all of them to be clean and useful. That's the context here, because look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, that's not throwing away paper plates. Oh, that's Tupperware, get rid of it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're clean, you're a vessel for honor. You're a vessel that's sanctified. That means set apart for a purpose and ready to go. You are a plate or a vessel that's useful to the master and prepared for every good work. Now, don't you want to be useful? Yes. Yes, we do. So he goes back to the point in verse 22. Now flee the youthful lust and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And now he's back to the false teacher again. You see what he just did? He says we could spend all our time arguing and think that that is somehow accounting ourselves as godly, or that that is useful, or that's solving problems. And the whole while he says, no, that's not what it's all about. It's about being a clean vessel yourself and useful to the master. Whatever he wants you to be, you're ready. So often we get consumed with this world, we forget that we're serving a master. So he calls us back to that. And that's the picture. That's the picture that we're working through, even in Jude, verse 17 and beyond. That's the picture I wanted to set before you. Because, folks, I'm not addressing a few people today in our church. I'm not talking just to elders, I'm not talking to trustees, I'm not talking to deaconesses or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders as if that's all I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to all of us, all right? Every single one of us in this room today, every single one of you in this room today have the same calling I do, and that is to be useful to my master, useful to your master, and this, this passage is that important that we've got to walk through it. I'll give you one more picture to help you with this. As we're going into verse 17. Why is the whole church being addressed? 
Because if you picture the whole church, just use your imagination, we're all in one long canoe. Is that okay, Jack, if I start with illustrations like this? You're okay? All right. Just making sure. All right. We're all in one long, long canoe. We're all sitting there, and we're all given a paddle. What do you do with that? It's to do what it says. You paddle with a paddle, right? What's the point? If everyone's given a paddle, and we're all in the same canoe, and we're all using it, guess what? We should be all going the same way. Wouldn't that help? That would be so efficient. It it would be so useful if we're going to make any trip down the river, if we're all doing it the same way. It only takes one not to paddle to make it harder for everybody else. And matter of fact, have one turn around backwards and paddle the other way. And it makes it harder for everyone else. So when I'm speaking about this topic today, I'm speaking to all of us. We're all in the canoe, folks, if so to speak. We're all together in this very same thing. And there are some, I, possibly, if you look at your own heart and look at your own life, would you probably would say, I'm just sitting here, even though I have a paddle. And maybe there's some that's not paddling at all, and maybe there's some that's sitting backwards and paddling the wrong direction. And this passage is going to help. All right? It's going to help. When I was a, a teen, I would always go to Bible camp for the summer. We had a week that we'd go up to uh, Dixon, Illinois, a little place up there. Ronald Reagan's birthplace is up in that area, and so we always thought that was kind of fun. Uh, but uh, Dixon, Illinois, there was a Rock River Bible camp. Yes, it was right on the banks of a river called the Rock River. And we would go up to that camp, and, and because it was right on the banks of a river, it gave us a lot of canoeing time. I loved it. I just loved that uh, week. I loved to canoe. It was one summer I was there. I think I was much older, a uh, teenager, probably junior or senior in high school. They decided to have an official canoe race. Boy, was that exciting. You know, the, we usually just play out there in the water. But uh, we thought it'd be great some year to have a real race and see what that's like. So uh, the point was to go across the river. Uh, and this is the way it was. The river would run downstream, of course. It was a rather wide river. And so the race was from one bank across to the other bank and back. All right? Now, that's not so easy when the current's coming this way at you and you're cutting straight across it because the current was enough to drag you for miles down the river. And so you had to cut counter that current, cut sideways across it, and and reach the other side, turn around and come back. And there was a bit of a trick to that, so that you didn't lose your, your course and start drifting off in the wrong direction. And so every team was made up of two, and the team I was on, there was a younger girl in the front of my canoe that had had no idea what a paddle was for. <laughs> I I honestly, once they said go... She looked like she was swatting bees or something. It was just all over the place and, and here and there. And it was, it was a mess. And I realized that I would never accomplish 
anything in this race. It's hard to steer when the first person in front is just slapping the water left and right. And it's really tough. If you've ever been in that situation, you know what I mean. So I started to coach her. It was kind of loud, I have to confess. Left, 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 right, right, right. And it was like all the way across that river. I'm screaming, telling her, on this side, on this side, nope, nope, on this side, on this side. And we're just going on and on and on. You know what? I was more tired from the coaching than I was from the racing. But I will tell you we won. I'll take that much. At least I didn't get a trophy or anything. But we did win. Today I'm going to feel like your coach. All right? As we walk into this section, I am very passionate about what we're seeing in Jude. I'm very passionate about it. And it's very important for all of us to understand we cannot afford to be careless here. We cannot be complacent here. We, we cannot go into this passage and say, well, that's for somebody else to worry about. It takes all of us paddling the same way with the same goals. And folks, it's even personal. It's very personal. Verse 17 says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pointed this out a few weeks ago, but I'll emphasize it now. Verse 17 says, But you, beloved. But you, beloved. I checked practically every single English Bible translation that's in this room today, all the way back to Tyndale's in the 1500s. Starts with the same call. But you, beloved. God has been saying that in English for 500 years. But you, beloved. But you, beloved. That's a contrast. You know that? Just a simple word, but, that starts off the sentence. That's a contrast. A contrast to what? All that we've learned about the false teacher. I could say it's a contrast to verse number 4 of people who sneak in unnoticed, people who are ungodly, people who turn God's grace into licentiousness, people who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. But you, beloved, are not like that. I could take you into verse number 5, and people who did not believe, and I could say, but you, beloved, are not like that. I could take you into verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. You understand what I could do, right? I could point out all these passages and all these verses and all these descriptions of false teachers and what they do and say, but you, beloved, are not like that. You're not like that. You're called to be different. Different. We steer the canoe contrary to the current in the river. Too often, I'm afraid we get involved in the fight of the current and we lose our sight on the race. We get bogged down easy and we need to have our eyes set in the right place so we know where we're going. We counter strategies sometimes of the false teacher with a strategy of our own. We fight with the conflict of words. 
Just like Paul was talking to Timothy. Don't do that, Timothy. Don't get into the argument. But we think, well, we can defeat them with our words. And so we, we engage all the words we could think of to fight that battle. We think, well, if we have certain programs and devices, we can, we can make ground on this battle. We can increase in numbers. We could increase in finances. We, we can get a larger auditorium. We could get a greater budget. We can, we could have more success than we've ever had before if we follow these ideas. But folks, we will never win by money. And we will never win by numbers. We will only win by the Lord. That's why He is able. That's why He is able. And that's what our faith must be set on. It is God who is able. David stood all alone against the giant. But he believed that God is able, and he overcame. I can go from story after story after story in the Old Testament, and those were written for our edification. They were written so that we can see it. Yes, true stories. I'm glad I didn't live back then and have my story written in there. What about you? Unless there's a good one, of course. Then I wouldn't mind. But these guys didn't had it all in black and white, didn't they? And many of those lessons, honestly, in the Old Testament, are how not to do it. <laughs> Don't follow their example in this and this and this and this. Because the just shall live by faith. And that's what God had said all the way from the beginning. That's what He wants. Trust me, I'm able. Trust me, I'm able. And he hasn't stopped saying it since. It's still true today. Churches come up with all kinds of gimmicks and words and everything else to win a battle, and that's never going to work. It's God who is able. It's God. I bring that before you because when it comes down to the main things here, it involves you and your God. And us, and our God. That's where we stand today. And if we have to paddle counter to this world, so be it. Our God is able. And He is with us. So Jude's addressing all of us. Do you see where I'm starting here? It's very important that we walk through this very carefully. He's addressing all of us. All of us. Even balcony people. Believe it. Balcony people too. We're called to be different. We're called to be different than everything mentioned in verse 4 through verse 16. Different than all of that. Our actions ought to be different. Our attitudes ought to be different. Our actions, our attitudes, our words, our goals, our belief, you name it. It's different. But you. The contrast is right in front of us. But. Now, I keep saying our words, our attitudes, our actions. You're saying, where does Jude use the word our? I just see the word you. It's plural, by the way. It's a pronoun, plural. Uh, use. Y'all? Feeling better? It was Southern Greek. All right. Jude uses a pronoun here, which is really quite interesting. And just take you on this. Don't tune out. Just listen for one second. All right? He didn't need to put the pronoun in the sentence. 
Because the structure of a Greek verb, the verb, the pronoun, is in the verb. Some of you have taken foreign languages before, and you've learned it first person, second person, third person. You know, singular and plural. And verbal forms, like Spanish does that, and maybe other languages you've learned, where the, the pronoun is embedded in the verb. So first person is, I am eating. Good example, I'm hungry. I am eating. Second person, you are eating. Third person, he, she, it is eating. You understand the system, right? Greek does that. Greek does it. He didn't have to put you in there, but he did. It was, it was intentional that he took that little pronoun you, made it plural, so I always say y'all, alright, and he stuffed it in front of that verb, which really says, and you, y'all, you, remember. It's emphatic. It's meant to be that way. He didn't have to do that, but he inserted it on purpose so that you know who he's talking to. You ever have that person come up to you and they're talking to you and you're kind of floating your mind away and you're thinking about something else and they tap you on the chest? Say, ah, I'm talking to you. Maybe it was your mom or dad that did that. You ever have that experience? And it brings you right back to, oh, this is important. That's Jude tapping you right now. You. You. And it's plural. All of you. He's addressing all of yous. Y'all. Everybody. Listen. This is important. It's for everybody here. There's an emphasis on purpose. He doesn't want anybody to miss it. And then he adds another word to it. And he sucks in the word beloved. That's a beautiful word to describe his audience. You, beloved, beloved, you deeply loved ones. It's from the word agape. It's a deep, deep love. It's, it's the kind of word that God uses for you. Did you know that? We sometimes say, well, agape, that's an interesting word. Everybody seems to know what that is. But it seems to be very heavy in God's dialogue with us. He loves us. John 3.16, He loves you, right? For God so loved the world. And so many other passages, it goes into that type of a term. That is His term for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are deeply loved. Deeply loved. When you step into to heaven someday... Don't be surprised if that's the first word out of his mouth towards you. Beloved, I've been waiting for this moment. That's the term he uses. It's the identity of a believer in the body of Christ. It's a contrast to the false teacher. But you, beloved, he never called the false teacher a beloved one. And there's a reason for that. Because when you jump down to verse number 19... They're devoid of the Spirit. You know what that means? They're not saved. You cannot have salvation without the Holy Spirit, can you? So he never calls the unbeliever beloved. He calls the believer a beloved one. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. It started all the way back in verse number 1. 
to those who are called beloved in God the Father. And I know King James uses the word sanctified there. But when you travel down to verse number 3, we all agree. Beloved, it starts that verse. Beloved. Fact is, you cannot be sanctified unless you're first loved. God did that. The reality is you're completely loved, folks. It's one of the key identifying contrasts we have with the false teacher. God loves you and is not afraid to say so. He loves you. You are a believer in Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'll ask that again. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You've been saved by His finished work on the cross. You've been made clean by His blood, filled by His Spirit, destined for heaven. If you claim all those things, a dozen other ways I could bring it up, the word beloved kind of sums it all up nicely. You are loved. You are loved. And Jude takes advantage of that little title right here. It's so simple. He says, God loves you. You're beloved. And he's about to make an appeal to you. And he knows that if you understand that you're loved by God, you're going to want to love him back. And guess what you do to prove your love for him? Scripture says it all over the place. Are you ready? There were times when it was difficult in Jesus' day to get through to his disciples. Have you ever noticed that? like something was missing up here that clicked when he talked to them. And just before his crucifixion, he was having a conversation with them in the upper room. And I could only picture them there scratching their head the whole time saying, I don't know what this is. What is he talking about? It's, it's beyond us. And Jesus would say things to them that really a mature person in Christ comes to understand. As we grow in our faith, we look back on him and say, Oh, that's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about earning the Father's love. He was talking about a love that responds to a Father who loves you. We can only love folks because he first loved us. Ours is always responsive. Do you know that? Always responsive. This is what he said in the upper room in John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Oh, really? Does that hit a little conviction button somewhere right about here, maybe? He who keeps my commandments loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Ooh, right there. Did you feel it? <gasps> okay. And my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Woo! Think of that one for a minute. I think, oh, what's the logic here? It's real simple. If you are a beloved one, then are you ready to hear what the Lord will have you to do? 
Are you ready to hear what he wants you to do? Do you respond and say, yes, I love you and I will do what you ask me to do? Jude is talking to beloved people. And as a beloved person, there is a need to respond to that kind of love. That's where we are today. When I'm appealing to you, I could go through all kinds of pictures and words and everything else. I could try to, to, in my own flesh, and I never can, I could try to convict you, but I can't. I could twist words around in every single way to try to say, do it, do it, do it, your pastor says so. But folks, I could never put that, that attachment in your heart, like what God has already put there. He says, I love you, and what do you want to say back? I love you too. And that's where Jude comes about. It's such a masterful, beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit said, Jude, put the word beloved right there. Right there! I need it right there! Because I'm going to ask them to do something hard. But they love me. I'm going to appeal to them to do something that's changing their life. But they love me. And I'm going to ask them to walk contrary to this world. But they love me. And so make them see that I love them. That they may respond in such a way. There are commands in this book. No surprise. The epistles have them. But Jude only has four. You want your life simple, there's four. But there's some of the four hardest commands you ever have to follow through with. But you can do it. You're loved by God and He is able. Right? That's what it says. Here's the four commands. Four commands. Verse 17 is the first one. Remember. Say, what? Is that really hard? Woohoo! Mm -hmm. Some of us know that too well. Remember. We're going to talk about that. That's the first one. Verse 21 is the second one. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself. We talked a little bit about that. We're going to come back to it. But that's command number two. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Command number three, verse 22. Have mercy on some. Verse number 23. Save others. Save others. Those are the four commands. Two of them are very personal. Two of them are rescue. The first two are important because you don't have the strength to do the second two unless you have first done the first two. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to walk through here together because these first two are commands to you and I and us personally as those who are loved by God. They're the things that we ought to be doing. It's the department of building ourselves up in the most holy faith. They are essential. They are essential. In the college world, we call it prerequisites. <laughs> Before you could take the next course or the next two commands, you have to have these ones done. These two classes finished. 
The other department is helping others. The first department is getting yourself right. And I've used this illustration, but it works so well. When you get on that airplane and they're giving you instructions in case of an emergency, oxygen masks are going to come down from the ceiling and you have to put yours on before you help somebody else. And I always thought, well, why don't I put somebody else's on first? It's because if you're passed out, you can't help anybody. It's real simple. So you put yours on first so that you're able to help the next guy. That's the picture of it. And that's what we're going to see in these verses, these commands. Who are they addressed to? Us. What are they involved? Remembering and staying close to God. If you want it simple. And then, after we have learned and grown and been strengthened in those things, now let's reach out to those that need mercy and help them. Now, honestly, all of those have to go together. I'm not giving you much time to build the one before you can do the other. But you have to do this. We have to do this. And we have to listen carefully to what the Lord is telling us. The nature of these commands fit the need of the congregation. Remember. What a great place to start. Remember. If the congregation Jude had written to had remembered, they wouldn't have had these people creep in unnoticed. But Jude's congregation hadn't remembered that. And guess what? They were already in. Verse number 4 says, certain persons have crept in unnoticed. (laughs) That's why it gets real important for us right now, because the church can get caught off guard, because they forgot. It comes down to something that simple, because they forgot. The biggest failure can be simply forgetting. But you, beloved, are to be different. You're to be different. Jude's hearers did not remember. So they had problems. You read it today. It's right there on the page. You read it right now. It's right here on the page. The command is still the same. Remember, remember, remember. If I preach this ten years from now, guess what the command would still be? Remember. I just wonder at times if the Lord looks down on us and says, how many years have I said this to them? Remember, 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 remember. If we forget, we fail. And that's the setup for us. The second command is going to be, stay close to God, the one who loves you. We will work on that. But these two commands, I'll just say it this way, because I know my time is really short. They are in what we call the aorist tense in the Greek. And what that means is this. It is urgent. Urgent. We're not talking about something, put it off for later, I'll get around to it, those kind of things. It is a do it now command. It's a start right now as if you've never done it before command. It is urgent. There's no stronger way to say it. This is one that that Jude broke his pen on, writing the word. He was trying to press it into the paper so hard that he probably just snapped that pen and had to get a new one. That's how important it is. A big reminder. Reminder. 
as if we've never heard this before. A reminder recorded in scriptures. We've read it before, but have we ever taken it to heart? Remember, he says, the knowledge of the word of God is so important to us, folks. We can say we need to live up to our name. We're a Bible church, right? We ought to live up to that at least. But we need to listen to this command. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you what those are next week. I'm going to develop that whole picture for you so you see what we're looking at here. But let me make an appeal. I'm down to the last paragraph on the page, all right? Listen, very carefully. Get into God's Word this week. Maybe you already have that habit. I thank you for it. If you don't have that habit, start now. You can't remember something you've never read. Is that true? How could I say remember if you've never seen it? If you're not spending time in God's Word, read it. I'll be honest with you. Next week, you just heard what I said. Next week, you will come. If you haven't read, you're going to feel a ton of conviction. I'm trying to help you avoid something, all right? But it's going to come heavy to your heart because you've neglected God's Word for another week of your life. And I don't want you to be there. I want this habit to be formed in us. I don't want to be negligent, and I don't want you to be negligent. And I don't want a complacent heart, and I don't want you to have one either. I don't want to be disobedient to my Lord, and I don't want you to be that way either. It sets us up for a fall, you see? It sets us up for a fall. The deception of the false teacher will come so fast, it will catch us unaware. But you, beloved, are different. So I appeal to you, just like Jude would, get into the Word so that you could remember it. So that you could remember it. Start anywhere you want next week. If you have to start in Jude, do it. But spend time in God's Word. Okay, there's your pastor's appeal. Because we're going to talk about it more next week. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand. Heavenly Father, help us with this. Really, it gets down to something simple, and yet, for some reason, it becomes so hard. It's easy to talk about these things in general terms, but when they get personal, it starts to pull on our hearts. And then it hurts. And then we see ourselves for who we really are. We see that we have room to grow, and all of us have room to grow, Lord, because none of us are like Christ yet. Help us, Lord, to take these words to heart. Because you love us. You love us dearly. You wouldn't have written these things and asked these things unless you you had loved us first. You gave your Son for us. What other display of love could there possibly be? If God had done that, what else has he given to us? Scripture says everything. Everything is ours through Jesus Christ. Everything for life and for godliness. May we not be negligent of these things that you've handed to us. The precious value of your word, of not only reading it, but knowing it and remembering it. Make us remembering kind of people, Lord, so that we will have our guard up, so that we will follow in the steps of our Savior, 
so that we will show our love to you by obeying what you tell us to do. Lord, work in our hearts, all of us here in this room, all of us, work in our hearts to show us again the depth of that love that we might grow in our love for you and obey, just like it says in your word. I ask that today, just setting this whole congregation before your feet and saying, Lord, use us to honor your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.